and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We're going to be talking about hand care today. That's exciting. You know, as knitters or whatever kind of making we do, you're using your hands basically all the time. I think that they're our most underappreciated tool as knitters. So when I was in massage school, we talked about that a lot. Your physical human body is the most important thing that you're using. You can't break it. You can't wear it out or you can't do the thing you want to do anymore. And indeed, same with knitting. Mm -hmm. This time of year, my hands really struggle for a variety of reasons. So I'm excited that we're talking about this today. (laughs) When I was researching this, one of the big questions that I kept coming up against was, is knitting good for your hands or bad for your hands? Hmm. And it's good for your hands because it builds strength and it actually builds cartilage in your fingers, which is kind of funny to think about, but that's one of those things that deteriorates over time. Huh. But it's also a repetitive motion. And so if you are doing the repetitive motion incorrectly, you can cause some long-term yuck stuff to happen in your body. Oh, no. (laughs) One of the experts who we're going to talk about a little bit later kept stressing that we don't want to say that the repetitive motion is the thing that's bad. Because knitting is a repetitive motion. That's the nature of the craft. That's not a bad thing. He also pointed out the early days of knitting, like if you were a shepherd in Shetland, you weren't just knitting. You were doing the carding and you were doing the picking and you were doing the spinning and the dyeing if the fiber was being dyed. And so in the process of creation, you were taking more breaks to do the other parts of the creation than somebody who's just like a modern knitter. So you just want to be thoughtful. First, I wanted to talk about a couple of stretches and things that you can do. If you just take one of your hands, let's say we're going to use our left hand to squeeze our right hand, and if you can see the veins in your wrist, you're going to do this right below the V that's there or the Y. And if you just have relaxed fingers and you squeeze right on the center of your wrist, you'll see how your fingers contract. Even if you try to keep them relaxed. I'm following along and doing this, and I've just (laughs) created like a little monkey's paw by pressing on my wrist. It's weird. Right. You know, as you think about stretching, we want to be thoughtful not just to stretch our fingers, but to stretch our wrists. If the tendon in your wrist can affect your fingers in that direction, it makes sense that things you're doing with your fingers can affect your wrist as well. So we want to be thoughtful about both parts of this. So when it comes to stretching, you don't want to stretch too hard. We talk about this in yoga teacher training. If you go too hard with stretching, your body freaks out and it's actually counterproductive. Because the job of your central nervous system is to keep your body safe at a base level. And if your muscles feel like they're being asked to do something unsafe, your central nervous system is going to stop you from doing the thing. So if you're, let's say, in a yoga class and you've never been to a yoga class before and you're like, standing up, I can hardly touch my toes, but I am going to jam my forehead down onto my knee. (laughs) Right. Like you could tear your hamstring. Your body's not going to let you do that. Whereas if you are gentle about things, you can ease into it and your body will know it's safe. Of course, if you have like a connective tissue disorder or something like Erlo-Danlos syndrome, be extra, extra careful. You already know that about yourself, but I just wanted to say it. The two things we're stretching are the muscles and the fascia, which is the connective tissue. It wraps everything in your body like a layer of saran wrap. It has these kind of wild connective pathways that run in directions you wouldn't expect. The first stretch you're going to do is going to be to stretch your palm and the front of your wrist, because when we're knitting, all of that is kind of contracted. 
your wrist is bent forward, your fingers are curled in, and so you're going to turn one palm up, your forearm will be up, you're going to use the hand, the other hand, to grab your fingers, and then just pull them down and back toward your elbow. When I say back toward your elbow, I don't mean your fingers are going to point back toward your elbow. That's just the direction that you're pulling. Your forearm is up, your palm is pointing forward, and then you're just directing your fingertips back toward your body with your other hand. For me, that's more like down toward the floor. Right. (laughs) Because we have different ranges of motion. That's very true. I am not a particularly flexible person, but my fingers will bend back at a 90 degree angle. And Jessica's got, I'd say, like a 10 degree backward bend. Like Mm -hmm. people's fingers are wildly all over the place. The next stretch, it's also a stretch for your palm. And I will say I don't get a whole lot from this one. So I'm curious to know whether Jessica will. But you're going to reach your arms forward. You're going to turn your palms down toward the floor and then turn them a little bit more so the backs of your hands are facing each other. So it's almost like you're doing like a swimming motion forward but your palms are facing outward. And then you're going to hook your thumbs and then just use each thumb to pull the other one, alternate which one's doing the pulling. And it's a stretch for your palm that really doesn't do a whole lot for me. I'm noticing Jessica, she can make her pinkies touch. But it's pulling my thumbs apart. Exactly. So your range of motion on this may be all over the place. If that's just not comfortable for you, You could just pull your thumb in the direction of the back of your hand. So if you turn your palm down, you're kind of pushing your thumb up with your other hand. That's much more comfortable for me. (laughs) Yeah. You can do the same thing with your pinkies. Depending on how you tension your yarn, you can get kind of like claw pinky happening. I'll notice a lot of times when I get hand cramps when I'm knitting, it's because I'm just not moving my pinky at all. It's the same problem I have with crochet. Hmm. For me, the way I do it, because I crochet with my hook in my right hand, and you're just tensioning the yarn with your left hand, and that's kind of all you're doing with your left hand, at a certain point, it starts to feel like my left hand is never going to move out of that shape. So you could just pull your pinkies up toward the back of your hand, and gently. You don't want to, like, dislocate your finger or anything. I'm having lots of popping happening in my fingers when I try this. I remember when I was a kid, and I always want to pop my fingers. I think because they bend so far back. And I was always told, don't do that. It will give you arthritis. That is a myth, apparently. That makes me feel better. I used to get told that all the time. Don't crack your knuckles. Don't crack your knuckles. But I couldn't stop myself. The other thing that you can do for your hands specifically is you can decompress the joints in your fingers by just gently pulling on each finger one at a time. Sometimes if I pull too hard, I get like a full body shudder on this one. So gentle, (laughs) not too hard. You're just trying to make a little bit of space in the joints. And you can do that as long as you want. This isn't specifically like a hand stretch, but if you are flexible enough when you're standing to get your hands on the floor, if you turn the backs of your hands onto the floor and then walk your feet up toward your wrist crease and sort of shift your weight around, it's a yoga move. That can be a really nice decompression too. Huh. The last stretch we're going to do is a myofascial release. You're working on your forearm, but the effect is going to be in your hands. So you're going to hold one hand out like you're about to shake someone's hand. So fingers are pointing forward. You'll take your other hand and grasp your forearm. I like to do it with my thumb on top. I think the demonstration that I saw had fingers on top. So that's a preference thing. 
And you want to hold it tight enough that when you move the gripping hand, your skin is going to move with you. So if you just try that a little bit, that's how much movement you have in your fascia right now. And then you're just going to do that. You're going to do your grip. And then in one direction, you're just going to push down toward the wrist on the hand of the arm that you're gripping and just hold it for like 60 to 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then you could do that in another spot on your forearm. You don't need to do every square inch of your forearm, but like two or three spots. And after 60 to 90 seconds, you'll feel your hand relax a little bit. And then with all of those, you want to make sure you're doing both hands. Mm -hmm. Symmetry. (laughs) And the thing about your fascia, you are born with a certain amount of play in your fascia. It tends to stiffen up as we age. You can get back to the amount of play or something close to the amount of play that you personally had originally when you were a fresh new human, but probably it's never going to get more movement than that. Some connective tissue genetic stuff aside, it will get so flexible and no more. So no judgment on this. All it's about is making some space in your hand. There are also some tools and physical support that you could bring in if you're having pain in your hands while you're knitting. So one of the things, it's like a massage cream called Biotone Muscle and Joint Therapeutic Massage Cream. It's really thick. So it's a post-knitting, like at night kind of thing. And just put that on your hands. You could put it in the microwave and then put it on your hands. I used to do that when I would get pain from typing a lot. Scoop a little bit out, put it in like a little dish and do it 15 second intervals or something just until you figure out how long won't burn you. Maybe five second intervals, depending. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Actually, 15 seconds feels like a long time. Five second intervals feels safer. And you just want it to be a little bit warm. It just helps it sink in. It's what we call occlusive. It is thick and it'll feel a little like, hmm, it doesn't absorb super quickly because it's a massage cream. So it's designed to like stay on your skin for a little bit, but it will absorb eventually and it feels really nice. The other thing you might want to look into are compression gloves. There are a million different kinds of compression gloves. I would say the only rule is don't get one with closed fingers. Get a pair with open fingers. You're probably going to be getting these online. Just make sure that you're buying a pair and not a single one. Some places sell like a single one. If you're only having pain in one hand, I guess that's fine. Sure. You might have one on deck in case you have aches and pains at a later point. Be nice to be prepared if you're thinking ahead. Right. I personally don't really like the ones that have a Velcro wrap around the wrist. I really just want somebody to squeeze my hands while I knit. So that's (laughs) that's what you want these gloves to do. (laughs) There were a few different ones that I like, and I'll link to all of these, but again, like whatever. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Whatever. Isotoner has some that are flexible and really compressive. There's a company called, I would guess it's Vive. It's V-I-V-E that has some that are flexible and very compressive. And then Dritz, D-R-I-T-Z, makes some crafting specific ones that some Michaels and Joannes carry. So you may be able to just get them locally and not have to buy them online. And then also, I just wanted to mention this website called Lymphodivas, which I will link to in the show notes, that is all kinds of compressive stuff, which is specifically for people who have lymphedema, and they have sleeves, they have what they call gauntlets, which it'll wrap your palm and then your thumb. They have gloves that will leave your fingers open, and so you can experiment wildly. 
There was a woman who used to knit here who had one of the sleeves. It kind of looks like a tattoo sleeve, like they have designs on it. They're kind of neat, so compression for your body's health and make it fashion. It's lots of fun. (laughs) I tend to think that you're not really going to get into trouble with compression garments. Don't wear it all day and then sleep in it. But like if you're wearing it while you're working or maybe for like an hour before you're knitting or for an hour after you're knitting, that kind of thing, they're not restricting your movement. However, I am not a doctor, but if you get numbness or swelling in your hands when you knit, That can be a symptom of carpal tunnel. You may or may not actually have carpal tunnel, but just from like a cause and effect standpoint, if you are experiencing symptoms of carpal tunnel, then a brace that is meant to relieve those symptoms, whether you actually have it or not, might be helpful for you. You can get those at most drugstores. They'll usually say carpal tunnel on the box. They are more restrictive than compression gloves. So you definitely need to be cautious about this because they are limiting what your hands are able to do. That's the point of them. But you don't want to get one that isn't the right one for you because you can actually cause different problems doing a repetitive motion in a way that isn't functional. So if you have questions, you could ask your doctor or if you are working with a physical therapist or know a physical therapist, they probably would have a suggestion. But it's worth a try. They're not super expensive. If you feel like it's hurting you, immediately stop using it. (laughs) as most things, right? Yeah, that's like a rule to live by. So something that is helpful for me, because I frequently experience hand pain in my joints, specifically in my fingers, when I'm doing lots and lots of knitting, one of the things that's helpful is changing up my needles. And for me, what that generally looks like is having a second or third project on hand. So I'm actually just working on a different set of needles that's in a different size. Right. Because if I'm working on large needles, like currently I have a hat in the works that I'm knitting on 10 and a halfs, which is the U.S. measurement, 10 and a half, it really bothers my hands. So I can work on it for so long and then my thumbs feel exhausted, my wrists start to get achy. And I know it's time for me to put that project down, but if I want to keep knitting, I'll grab something that's on a size US 4 or something like that, and it allows my hands to move differently and gives them some relief. There are different needles, though, that are actually made to be more ergonomically correct for your hands, because I'm just switching between my stainless steel chowgus here. I'm just changing needle size, not needle type. There's a company called Prim who designs ergonomic knitting needles. It's P-R-Y-M. I believe they also make crochet hooks. Yes, they do. So if you're a crocheter and you're listening, they might have a hand-healthy option for you as well. But their design is really great and hand-friendly. You could also alternate between the length of your needle tips when you're working. Some people find that using longer tips is more comfortable in their hands. Some people like shorter tips. And that really depends on the type of knitting that you're doing and the way your hands feel. So listen to your body and mix things up if what you're currently using isn't really effective for you. You can also try switching over to circular needles if you knit with straight needles. Straight needles can be really stressful on your hands, even though they are like the traditional knitting needle and the thing that people think of when they envision knitting. 
Circular needles were kind of a great ergonomic advance for all of us because the needle tips are shorter, which means they're putting less pressure on the outside of the palms of your hand, and having the cable connecting the two needles allows your fabric to slide down into a central location rather than alternating which hand is supporting the weight of your entire project on a straight needle as you transition your stitches from one side to the other. That makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. There's also a book. It's called Knitting Comfortably, The Ergonomics of Hand Knitting. It's by a man named Carson Demers, and he's a physical therapist, and he's been knitting since he was a kid and started noticing some problems in his own body and then wrote this big book to solve them. He was the one I was talking about at the beginning who says we don't look at this as like a repetitive stress injury because it's a repetitive motion that's the nature of the thing. He talks about reducing the risk of your knitting habits by making adjustments or adding preventative care when you notice that there's like something you're doing habitually that is maybe causing discomfort or long-term harm in your body. So things like if you're in the habit of when you're sitting in your favorite armchair, leaning one elbow on the armrest and knitting. He also mentioned, and this feels like kind of an extreme case, but things like if somebody is sitting for a really long time to knit and they're doing that habitually, He's known people who have had like blood clots and problems in their legs just from sitting that long. And that's not specific to the knitting necessarily, but it's just prolonged sitting, like long road trips, long flights. It's good to get up every once in a while and move around. Your yarn's not doing this to you, it's the sitting. <laughs> Without you even having to buy the book, he says the fix for that is take standing breaks once in a while. <laughs> Hot tip. This book is not super accessible. It's only available in hardcover. I found it on Amazon, and it's actually pretty expensive. It's like $90, which feels like a lot. It is a ton of knowledge, though, and if you're having problems, it's maybe worth it to you. But if that isn't accessible to you, there's a YouTube channel called Fruity Knitting who has interviewed him twice. I'm going to link to the first interview they did with him. The first interview they did has a lot of the information that he shares in his book. And so if the physical book is not accessible, that's a good way to access the information. You might also try your library. Oh, sure. See if you can find it either in your local library or via interlibrary loan because there are free ways to access books. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you know what I did learn from watching the interview? What did you learn? We carry these square needles it's called cubics. He finally explained why those are helpful for neuropathy, which as somebody who doesn't have neuropathy in my hands, I did not understand. Do tell. And it depends on how you want to hold them. You want to hold them with your fingers and your thumb on the flat edges. So if you picture like a triangular or a square needle, because as we age, we lose padding in the tips of our fingers. And so if you think about something like watching a baseball game, something where you're like sitting and doing the same thing for a long time, if you are sitting on like the rail of a fence to do that, it is going to hurt. Over time, you're going to be like, this is pressure. This is hard. The round surface oh. right on a regular knitting needle is kind of doing the same thing to your finger, which is fine when you have all the padding that you need in the tip of your finger. But if you don't, holding onto a flat, square, or rectangular surface is like moving to a chair, which will be more comfortable. Oh, lovely. I had never thought about that. No matter where you're sitting with your body, it's the same amount of gravity, the same force being exerted down, but spreading it out versus like a single point. How interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. I was really excited about that. So the other thing you want to do to take care of your hands is you want to take care of your skin. For sure. Your skin is so important and really puts up with a lot. 
oh, especially to our hands, especially in the winter like it is here in New Hampshire. The air is dry. There are extreme temperature shifts. Sometimes you're encountering snow or ice. (laughs) Your hands are dealing with a lot, and it's good to be gentle to them and take good care of the outsides of them as well as the insides. Right. And if you look into how to take care of the skin on your hands, you're going to find a lot of stuff that's aesthetic. And that's fine. If you want to take care of your hands for aesthetic reasons also, things like use sunscreen. Everywhere will tell you to use sunscreen. You should use sunscreen on your whole self like all all the time. Sunscreen's (laughs) important. Because just from a functional standpoint, dry skin can be snaggy in really extreme conditions. It could be so dry that it cracks. Nobody likes that. So that happens to me. Hasn't this year yet, but just about every winter, the corner of my thumb will crack when I'm doing lots of knitting. Like no matter how much moisturizer I use, it's just the air is so dry here and being in and outside with the chickens in the cold, like my hands are under lots of stress doing dishes and hot water, that kind of thing. And at some point, my thumb's like, sorry, I'm done. So it's Band-Aid time at that point, Band-Aid and Neosporin. (laughs) Right. Jessica's trick or she'll use like washi tape or whatever she's got she will add to her skin to help protect it (laughs) I do that too I get stress points on my fingers where I will actually kind of poke holes in them with my needles yeah and no matter how well moisturized I am my skin is kind of anti-callous and pro fall victim to my needle tips so I'll grab (laughs) scotch tape or washi tape if I don't have a band-aid and just kind of wrap my fingers up and keep knitting. And it's helpful to have a barrier. I've seen some knitters use like thimbles, not metal ones. I've seen leather ones or cloth ones or even those little silicone pads that you can put on your fingertips as a way of protecting them when your hands are under lots of stress. Because we are, we're putting our hands under lots of stress. Jessica's talking about a lot of environmental factors. The environmental factors line up with knitting season. If you're someone who doesn't knit year-round, when it's cold is when you do. Some basic ideas. Keeping your cuticles trimmed. If they are snaggy, you're going to be annoyed (laughs) when you're knitting. I like to, sometimes when I'm cooking, will just rub my cuticles with olive oil. Yeah. I've never trimmed my cuticles, but I keep them moisturized in that way when I think about it. That helps a lot. If you're somebody who has a skincare routine for your face, you can just use the same stuff on the backs of your hands. That's what you'll see a lot in advice that's like how to keep your hands looking like infant hands when you're (laughs) when you're no longer an infant is what I'll say. Like, you know how if you're a skincare person and you'll buy like a serum or a moisturizer and you'll put it on your face and your face will be like, I reject this. This is not for me. Mm -hmm. Don't get rid of it. Use it on your hands. (laughs) Yeah, your hands are probably less picky than your faces. So that's a good way to use up a maybe expensive product that you got for your face. Basically, you just want to keep your hands moisturized. So moisturizer in the morning and then maybe an oil and then something occlusive before bed. The idea behind the occlusive thing is it will kind of seal in the oil so it can sink into your hands. It's the same idea as those hand moisturizing gloves that you see, except the thought of sleeping in gloves makes me feel claustrophobic and furious. So you just like make, <laughs> you make gloves with moisturizer, which doesn't make me feel claustrophobic and furious, but you probably want to do that right before bed. Not that like- makes me feel like I would stick to my sheets. Yeah. <laughs> Places sell hand-specific oil. They're like for hands and cuticles. Oil is oil. It doesn't matter if it's for your face or it's a jar of grapeseed oil out of your pantry. 
Some people's skin really dislikes fractionated coconut oil. All fractionated coconut oil is, is they've done something to it so it doesn't become solid again. It's just liquid. The softest hands I've ever known on a human person were the hands of the woman who instructed the massage class that I took. So if that doesn't cause you any kind of skin reaction, it will work. And then for the occlusive, anything from a drugstore, CeraVe or Aquaphor, if you have that biotone moisturizing thing that you wanted to try, that would work. Whatever. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Just do it consistently. And if it has peppermint in it because it's actually a foot cream, don't rub your eye. <laughs> that's, a, that's a valuable reminder for all of us. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's actually a lot of things that are meant for joint pain specifically. They have like capsaicin in them or tea tree oil. Yeah, things you don't want inside your eyeball. There are not a lot of joints that you put inside your eyeball, but your finger joints. <laughs> <laughs> don't put anything in your eye. Yeah. Please don't touch your eyes. <laughs> So that's the hand advice that we have for you this week. Take care of your hands. You'll be a happier, healthier knitter if you do. Hey, Karen, what's on your needles this week? I'm still working on my socks, my Amberwing socks. I mentioned these last week. They're designed by Summer Lee. I love them. Can I just say, I'm a pretty confident fixer. Mm -hmm. Dropping back Rusamina and trying to fix it. Not in my skill set. So I spent fully like two nights struggling with one of the little moth. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that moth, he's a little wonky. He maybe flew into a light bulb at some point, And we love him. That's nature. These things happen. <laughs> That's right. How about you, Jessica? What are you working on? So I still have my test knits and my dress project all in the works. But in the last day or two, I have taken a break so I can knit a hat. Because y'all might be shocked to learn that I have lost my other hat. <laughs> and it is so cold. <laughs> like, I am I'm knitting out of necessity here. Can I tell you that, so at some point last year, Jessica had knit a hat that just, like, didn't work for her head. So I stole it and I love it. Mm -hmm. I have lost that hat. Any hat I touch <laughs> is, it's a matter of time before the universe takes it away. Yeah. doesn't matter who I gave it to or whether it's mine, <laughs> like that hat will just disappear. So I'm using a skein that I had in my stash of Aaron Waite Lamb's Wool from Die Gilpin. And I don't know, I've had this for like a year or two, and it's just been hanging around waiting to become something. And I am knitting the radish hat, which is my favorite hat pattern. And that definitely dooms this hat to being lost <laughs> because I've knit it like six times, eight times, and all of those hats are gone. It's like kind of slouchy, it's got cables on it, and it was designed by one of the original owners of Fancy Tiger Crafts, but I'm about to have a hat <laughs> for a little bit. Right. A brief stay. <laughs> hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen. Are you ready for a letter? Sure. Let's do it. This week's letter comes from Macy. Hey, Macy. Hello. I'm excited for the Stash Down Knit Along. Yay! Same, Macy, we are too. Any ideas for seven balls of 50 to 70 yards each of bulky merino that kind of go together? I would greatly appreciate any help. Sure. 
I have three suggestions for you. Without seeing this yarn and not really knowing what kind of go together means, I'm just going to assume it means go together. And that you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that you're willing to do some like alternating of skeins to blend your colors. Maybe this is going to be a fade or maybe it's going to be stripes, but you are going to be color creative and work as many of these skeins together as you want. So my first pattern suggestion for you is, I think you say this, Haver Latte? Maybe not. I don't even know if it's in English or not. It's H-A-V-R-E-L-A-T-T-E. And it's by Maya Karrison. This pattern, you might be shocked to find out, is a dickie. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you could combine those colors in a fade or in stripes or do whatever you want. But it's a way to feel cozy and layer up if you are in a climate where dickies are called for. Can I tell you (laughs) my theory on why dickies are making a comeback? In addition to you having said it and like brought it into the universe. Yeah, me willing it into being. (laughs) I think it's because of Zoom. You're probably right. (laughs) Because we lived for like two years in little squares where you could really only see down to about where a dickie would end. You could totally be in your pajamas other than that. And you're in a meeting that's some kind of important and no one would ever know. They're like, wow, that's a lovely hand knit turtleneck. And you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, sure is. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Joke's on you. (laughs) Anyway. That's pretty funny. You're probably right. If you're not specifically a dickie wearer because you haven't tried it yet and probably should, you maybe want to knit a cowl. And the Getting Warmer cowl from Espace Tricot is great and squishy and would work up quick. And because it's kind of slouchy and textured, would be perfect for the transitioning of colors in all of your scrappy skeins. If you want to knit a garment, depending on what size you would knit, because I have no way of knowing this about you, you might consider looking at the Ursa from Jacqueline Seaslack. We've talked about the Ursa before on here. It's fun. It's half brioche in like a cool little triangle pattern in the body. And it's a cropped sweater that has long sleeves. But if you were playing yarn chicken, you could definitely make it with short sleeves and it would be super cute and a nice little layering piece. So I would highly recommend that. And if none of these sound appealing, that's fine. You have lots of (laughs) options. And I'm just going to take this as an opportunity to remind you that if you are a person who does or is able to use Ravelry, the filtering option in their pattern search is a great way to answer these types of questions for yourself. So you know how much yardage you have approximately, you know the weight of your yarn, you can plug those into the filter and even narrow it down more if you know you just want an accessory or you just want garments or you just want something for your house. You can select those little tick boxes, and then it will give you an assortment of patterns that meet those parameters, and you can kind of figure out what you might want to be knitting from there. When you're doing a stash-busting project, say for the Make Good Stash Down, sometimes the world is your oyster, and you just have this pile of misfit yarn in front of you, so if you can kind of group them into little stacks of yarn that you find aesthetically appealing together, and then maybe do a little bit of math, to try and figure out what your total cumulative yardage is, you can just go to the internet and start asking questions via search filters to get ideas for what that yarn wants to be. Yeah, and if you don't know how much yardage you actually have, throwing it on a scale, just in one big clump, it doesn't really matter how much you have of each color. If you know, okay, what is bulky weight? There's 76 yards is 100 grams. 
you can figure out from there what your total yardage is. Yeah, little reverse engineering based on numbers on your ball band if you still have them. Or you can refer back to our Yarn Detective episode <laughs> and see if you can figure it out that way. <laughs> the answer is a yardage meter. <laughs> Good luck. I think that might be it for us this week. I think it is. So we're excited to see all of the things that you are planning and dreaming up and working on for our current Stash Buster knit-along. So we're watching for you on Instagram. Make sure that when you're posting your photos of your projects, you use the hashtag MakeGoodStashDown. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. We have a Patreon. Big thanks to all of our patrons. You guys are amazing. If you're not already subscribed to the Make Good Podcast, you should do it. You can listen to us anywhere you find podcasts. You can hit that little subscribe button and we will just magically show up on your device every week. <laughs> Send us questions. You can go to our website, makegoodpod.com, and fill out the contact form or email us directly by emailing dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. If you're on the website, you can also click the cute little microphone button at the bottom of the page and leave us a voicemail. <laughs> we love it. It's fun to hear from you. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.